You are listening to the Ridgewood Church Podcast on a sermon series that will take us through the Gospel of John, entitled, Learning Jesus. You know, as I was uh, living in Vancouver, British Columbia, where Wendy and I were before we moved back here to Minnesota, I really learned to love the ocean. I loved being able to get up in the morning and walk and pray on the beach and watch the ships sail by. And every now and then you'd hear this crash and you'd think two boats had just collided and you'd look and the school of whales would be jumping out of the water. It was really amazing to live there and I really grew to love the ocean. But I think the thing I liked best about that is just staring over that vast body of water and realizing how big God is. And there was a sense of of humbling that comes with that. And whether it's the Pacific Ocean or in our context, Lake Superior, you look over that that vast plain of water, it helps helps us understand what our place in the universe really is. Not, Not insignificant, but not the center of the universe either. And the thing I love about John is this apostle was excited about the vast nature of Jesus Christ. He was excited about his infinite nature and his eternality. And he wants us to be excited too. And what he's doing in this book is he's eliciting belief. He wants us to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. But these first two verses in the book provide a foundation for our belief. If we believe what he will tell us today, then we can believe in who Jesus really is. And that's the goal of the gospel of John. In John 20, 31, he says, But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. He's drawing us in by allowing us to see the vast nature of Jesus Christ. John Calvin, in his commentary, does a really good job of pointing this out. He says, in this introduction, he asserts the entire divinity of Christ in order to inform us that he is the eternal God who was manifested in the flesh. The design is to show it to have been necessary that the restoration of mankind should be accomplished by the Son of God. And that's what John's doing in these first two verses. He's saying, if you understand the nature of Christ, then I can draw you to belief. After all, we'll see in this book over and over again, Jesus is saying, believe, believe, believe. And we're going to see signs and wonders. We're going to see how Jesus did his ministry. We're going to learn how he interacted with people. We're going to See if we can emulate that sacrifice, of course, resulting in that incredible moment when he rose from the dead. We're going to see him call us to mission. All of that will happen in the book of John. But everything hinges on these first two verses. So this morning, I want you to know that Jesus is this incredible person that you should not underestimate. You need to understand that he is something Bigger and better than you ever believed. And so I'm calling you to believe too. I'm calling you to trust. I'm calling you to follow him. Because he is 
bigger and larger than you ever imagined. So I want you to take your Bibles, and we're going to turn to the book of John, and we're going to launch into this series that we call Learning Jesus, and we're going to start in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and if you want to grab a Bible from that seat back in front of you, it's on page 886. You can also use the Ridgewood app and download that, and you can see the different study notes in the scripture there as well. Now, the essence of what John is saying in these first two verses is this. Consider Jesus in light of his teaching, in light of his signs and deeds. But don't expect that you will completely understand the gospel unless you first believe what I'm about to tell you about who Jesus is. And so this text is really important that we're studying this morning. It was written by John about 40 or 50 years after Jesus ascended. It's written from Ephesus. It's meaningful, and here it is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Simple, beautiful, and powerful. All we need to know to set a foundation for what we're about to learn in the book of John. And so, as we go forward, you'll see the goal and the mission of this series. What we're trying to accomplish over the next period of time is to learn and love Jesus. We want to learn Jesus, and we're going to do that in this amazing gospel. The gospel of John is divided up into particular sections. And here's kind of how the series is going to lay out. Right now, we're in this section that we can call origins. This is seeing Jesus in his eternality, understanding his manifestation in the flesh and what he's done for us. Then we'll look at his signs. We'll look at the I am sayings, the preparations for his death, the illegal trials that he went through for us and his death, and then the resurrection and calling us out on mission. And today we're in origins. We're going to discover what was happening in eternity past with Jesus Christ. Now you'll remember back in the fall, we did this short series on being missional people, missional habits. And we took an outline from Michael Frost's book called Surprise the World. And the way that lines up is this. Remember we talked about this in, in, in the fall, that we want to bless non-believers, by encouraging them, by having a good word for them, by doing a good deed for them. We want to learn to eat and fellowship with non-believers because that's what Jesus did. He, he, he fellowshiped over food. We want to learn to listen to the power of the Holy Spirit, which you did a great job, job of this year, and it was you who brought these people to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to learn Jesus. We want to emulate everything that he does and how he does ministry, and then we want to see ourselves as sent people. And so we're in this series, Learning Jesus. We're learning who He is. We're learning how He functions so that we can become more like Him and do ministry like He does. And so the text before us today is simple and powerful, and it reads so poetically beautiful. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. God. So you'll notice right at the top, the words in the beginning 
remind us of the very first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we're immediately drawn into this amazing truth that there has never been a time when Jesus was not. Jesus has always been. He didn't start in the manger. He's an eternal being. He has always been. And John used that phrase, in the beginning, in an absolute sense, to denote the beginning of time and space, which is the universe as we know it. But there's that verb there, was. In the beginning, was the word. John is highlighting the pre-existence of Christ. In other words, before the universe existed, long before, Jesus was. He's always been. Now, there was a time in this book we're going to look at in, in a few weeks that the Pharisees challenged Jesus on being God. Here's what he said to them. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That's eternality. Not only is he claiming here to be the, the ancient God of Israel, but he's claiming to have already existed. And so you'll see here that in this book, as we begin, there's no genealogy. You'll see genealogies in Matthew and Luke, but not here. Why? Because that's not John's point. John's point is that Jesus never began, so there's no genealogy needed for the I am. And so in the beginning was the Word. And so as we see Jesus now, we're going to experience Him in a new way. He is eternal. But secondly, He is the self-expression of God. And this is really an amazing truth when you start to dig into what it means to be the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The term Word is a common Greek word. It's logos, which means speaking, a message, or words. Some commentators, older commentators, would just say the speech was with God. Because that's exactly what logos means. It was widely used in Greek philosophical teaching. It was widely used in Jewish wisdom literature and in philosophy. So probably the reason John chose this particular term is that people would have been familiar with it. But there's also an important tie-in to logos in Scripture. In the Old Testament, for example, we see the word connected to the power of creation. We see it connected in a revelatory sense to the prophets. The word came to the prophets. We see it in deliverance in the book of Psalms. We see it in salvation. The amazing thing about the Word is that the Father says and the Word does. The Father creates, the Son does the creating. The Word is always speaking. And then for the New Testament reader, the Word finds its meaning within the culture of the New Testament, in their experiences. And John insists that the Word is fully God. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus, is that all of that revelation, creation, salvation, deliverance, it's all one person. And His name is Jesus. He is amazing. He is the Word. He's eternal. He's the self-expression of God. And so what does that mean to us? 
It means that as a follower of Jesus, the Lagos is in you. He's the creator. He, he is by the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling you. And so he has all of the power that you need to live your Christian life. You don't have to ever be apart from Jesus because he will always be with you. And so here's the next truth that we need to spend some time on, and that's this. Jesus has always been with God. This incredible person, and that's exactly what he is, has always been with God. Now, try to, try to line this up. You're not going to be able to understand this, but the doctrine of the Trinity begins to emerge here. Jesus has always been with the Father. He's always been with the Holy Spirit. And so here, all three persons are living eternally, all equal in essence, all God, but all with particular roles to play. That's Jesus is the Word. He is the self-expression of God. Yet He is God. Now, John isn't implying that there are two gods at all, and he's not implying that Jesus is one of a number of gods. One of the great heresies of the Jehovah Witness theology, for example, is that it translates this clause, the word was a god. That's not correct. It's, it's not about polytheism, the worship of a number of different gods. When we understand this, we understand the doctrine of the Trinity. Jesus was with the Father, yet is equal in essence to the Father. He's with the Holy Spirit, yet equal in essence to the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When we baptize, we baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All living together, all equally God. And so when we talk about Jesus, we have to understand that He is a part of this whole equation. He's eternal. He's part of the self-expression of God. He's in relationship with the Father. He is in us. But here's where John was really targeting right here. Jesus is God. This is what John is leading to. Jesus is God. And so as God, He is worthy of all of our worship. He is worthy of all of our praise. He is worthy to lay our lives down for Him because He is absolutely God. Now, interestingly enough, John is writing from Ephesus. And Ephesus is a, a city that is full of idol worship, and it's full of all kinds of, of, of nonsensical belief. But John is saying, listen, I want you to know something, that there is only one God. And it so happens that Jesus, the one I walked with, the one that I did life with, is that God. And so he's taking Jesus out of the realm of the natural into the supernatural for these readers. He is God. New Testament readers were coming around to this idea really quickly, too. For example, in Romans 5.9, Paul writes about Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. So immediately, Paul was preaching Christ as being God. So New Testament believers were starting to understand this doctrine very, very early. And as we understand the Trinity, and as we understand how Jesus interacts with the other members of the Trinity, then we can begin to have a strict definition of who Jesus really is. And we can avoid falling into heresy. 
Because then if we believe what John is saying here, then Jesus cannot be anything less than eternal. He didn't start in the manger. He didn't start at some point. God did not create Jesus, which now we're into Mormon heresy. We must understand that he's nothing less than eternal. We must understand that Jesus is not merely human, that he is powerful, that he is endowed with all the attributes of God, that in fact he is God. And so Jesus is amazing. He's the future king. He he reigns in the book of Revelation, but he reigns now. He reigned over Israel in the Old Testament, and he reigns over Israel today. He is the king. He is sovereignly in control. He is more powerful than any enemy of darkness. And so when you start thinking about who Jesus is, I hope that you will find a new center to get you through the difficult aspects of your life. I know for me, there are mornings when I get up to pray and I'm just struggling, like I don't feel well, or there's pressure, or depression is there, and I think, I don't think I can do this. And when I go back to verses like this, passages like this, I begin to remember who I'm really empowered by, who I serve. And even when I'm sitting in the front row and you all think I'm paging through my phone looking at scores, I'm really not. What I'm doing is, well, maybe sometimes, but what I'm really doing is, is I'm reading Scripture. And I'm reminding myself of who Jesus is. I'm reminding myself of the kind of power that is there for me when I walk up here and talk to you. Because I'll guarantee you what Satan is doing is he's saying, you can't do this, they're not going to care what you have to say, you're not qualified to preach that. But what I know to be the truth is that Jesus is my hope. And he can be your hope too. That's why John is saying, believe. Believe. And and who do you believe in? You believe in the person that John is describing. This is why these first two verses are so incredibly important. Jesus is absolutely God. And if you look at the second verse, John feels like it's so important for you to get this that he just simply reverses the order, but makes the same point. He was in the beginning with God. Same point, different word order. It's it's an exclamation point to say, do you get this? He's saying, do you understand that the word who is God is the one that I said was in the beginning with God? And by the way, he is God. So if you're a New Testament believer and you're surrounded by pagan practices and idol worship and immorality, it kind of sounds like our world even, maybe. There's some correlation there. Because we're surrounded by all those things too, just in different forms. John's bringing us back to this central point of who Jesus is. And this is really an amazing part of Jesus. He is the word of life. He is the spoken word of life. Everywhere Jesus goes, he brings life. He brings life into those that are dead. He brings life into souls that have gone hard. He is the breath of life. And the disciples understood this, and John understood it. And so John writes about it first in 1 John 1, 1 and 2, for example. That which was from the beginning, 
which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest, and we have seen it, testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Look at this title of Jesus, the eternal life, which was with the Father. This is such an amazing two verses because what John is reminding his readers of is that he is an eyewitness to all of this. That he and the disciples walked and saw Jesus raise people from the dead. They saw him do ministry. They saw him heal. They saw him call those to believe in him. And they believed. They didn't believe at first. But they did at the end, all except for one. Again in 1 John. More writings from John. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. These first two verses must be understood to understand Jesus, to learn Jesus. Jesus isn't just another character in the Bible. He's not just someone to read a story about. He is the eternal God. He is eternal life. He has always been. He's the expression of God. He is the creator. And we're going to talk more about that next week. He's eternal life. Eternal life. He doesn't just bring eternal life. He is life. That's who Jesus is. And so we look at all of this, and the whole point of the book of John is what will your response be? What will you do with all of this information? Everywhere Jesus went, and he would testify often about who he was, but it would always be followed by a parable or a question to draw you into belief. And often, the meaning of those parables were lost on non-believers because it was only those who believed that really understood who Jesus is. So what are you going to do with all this information? As I see this, there are really two options. The first option is this. You can just deny everything that you're reading. You can just say, I don't believe it. It's not true. I don't believe the Bible. Okay, that's an option. It's a dangerous option. You're flirting with eternal disaster because you're still under the wrath of sin and under the wrath of God, but through the work of Jesus Christ, but that is an option. The second option is a better option. You can move toward Jesus. You can learn to love Jesus better. You can give yourself and relinquish yourself to Jesus based on what you believe to be the truth. And so as you enter 2019, how do you do that? How exactly do you take option two and make it work in your life? Here are some suggestions. First, I would say, spend more time with Jesus this year. Spend time with Him. We've just given you a Bible reading plan that you can follow. All of your Bible apps will have reading plans in them. You can just take a book and start going verse by verse. But spend time with Him. Learn Him. Secondly, you can trust that He loves you. You don't have to doubt that. You can trust in His forgiveness. 
You don't have to live in shame. You don't have to live in self-loathing. In February, when you realize you're not going to make any of your New Year's resolutions, you can trust that Jesus will forgive you. When the treadmill has never been turned on, Jesus still loves you. But seriously, we walk around with loathing. We, we walk around with all of the shame. We don't have to do that. Jesus forgives us. We can believe in Jesus' promise to overcome the world. How, how do we know that's true? Because of what John just told us, right? So when we see that later in the book, we can look back and go, oh yeah, Jesus has the authority to say that because he is the word who was with God and who was God, who is God. Another thing we can do is we can aim the trajectory of our life toward eternity and not toward temporal things. One way to understand the power in your life is to say to God, listen, I want to live for eternity. I don't want to live for right now. This culture is all about right now. So much mainstream theology and religious thought is all about now. God, make it happen for me now. I have to have this thing or that thing. Try this for a minute. Lord, I know there's something better. I want other people to enjoy you. I'm going to aim for eternity. and That's how I'm going to live my life. If things temporarily don't work out, I'm okay with that because I'll be with you forever. One thing you can do to really solidify belief is to involve yourself with non-believers. Because I don't see how you can believe this truth without having it spill out of you. Because you're so excited about who Jesus is. And as a church, we say that we're Christ followers, which we are, and that we believe in Jesus, we preach Christ, we're centered on Christ, then we've made a commitment as a church to make Jesus known. But each individual needs to make that commitment as well. And the more you're talking to people about Jesus, the more you're going to be excited about Jesus. And pretty soon what you'll notice, you'll have a mindset where you'll look at non-believers and you'll go, wow, that person really needs Christ. I need to, wow. I see that happening in this person's life. And rather than judging them, you're going, man, if they had Jesus, they'd have a whole different perspective on their lives. And then you're fueled and you're ready to go do that. Because what John is saying is, I'm about to tell you a lot of really cool things about Jesus. At the end of the book, he's going to tell us there was a lot more that he didn't have time to write down. But you're not going to believe any of it unless you believe in the vast nature of Christ. Like looking out over the water. It's more than you can really take in, but it's there. It's true. And that the goal is to believe so that you can have life in his name. And maybe you're already a Christian. Maybe you follow Jesus, but you can have abundant life. You can have life in a way that you never thought you could have life because in the beginning was Jesus the Word. And Jesus the Word was with God. Jesus the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That truth brings real hope. Thank you, Jesus, for being more than we can ever imagine. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.